What I want to do this morning is, is, is different. Um, we've never done this before, but uh, I, I really feel led of God to do this this morning. Usually, we preach out of the Bible, and I will continue that next week. But for this morning, I, I want to do something different. I want to preach out of the Quran. Just kidding. I, it's the end of the year, and um, it's kind of a time for reassessments, you start thinking about the old year, you start thinking about the new year, you, you do evaluations. And I, real, I really feel led to take this last Sunday morning of 1996 and just sort of reflect on who we are as a body, on uh, where we've been and where we're going, and really sort of to do a self-assessment. A lot of people think that church is about getting tips on how to live better and how to feel better and how to parent better and, and whatnot. And I believe that if you're doing church right, those things will happen. It, you'll have a better life for it. But that, I believe, is a byproduct of what the gospel is really all about. The church is the called out ones. That's the Greek word for church. It means the called out ones. It is the body of believers. And the body of Christ is to be about the work of Christ. We have a great commission to carry out. Christianity is a ministry. It is a job. We are to be about building the kingdom of God, coming against the kingdom of darkness, spreading light wherever we go. That's what it's about. It's a job. The byproduct is that you're a better husband, you're a better wife, you're a better parent, you're better at, at, at a lot of things because of that, but that's a byproduct. And the point of all that is this. This isn't a, a, a feel-good game that we do on Sunday morning. This is, a, this is to be a charge to the army. It's to be a time where we glorify God. It's to be a time where we get fueled up to go out and do Christianity when we leave this place. But because it's a job and because we're carrying out the Great Commission, it means that it's appropriate sometimes to sit down or stand up, as the case may be, and to critically assess how you're doing. We do this in secular jobs all the time. We evaluate. Well, are, are we hitting the target? There's no place for a sort of Pollyanna attitude that you get in some places where we've always got to be positive, always got to be up. There's a lot to be positive about, a lot to be up about, but there's also a need to say, what can we do better? How can we do it better? What are we dropping the ball on? Because there's a great commission to be carried out here. Here's what was the catalyst for this whole thing. Um, back in September, we were going to move into the gym because obviously we're pretty crowded here. In fact, we've been pretty much at capacity for almost a year now. We've grown four or 500 people this year, and we were at near capacity at the beginning. Every book that's written on church growth will tell you that when you hit about 80% max capacity of any kind of a building, your growth will be curtailed because people get a little bit claustrophobic and they don't like to put up with the seating problems and whatnot. But in spite of that, we've been staying here, saying, okay, when we got the green light, we're going to move into the gym. Our expectation is, or at least what we suspect is going to happen if God continues to move the way God's been moving, is that when we get in the gym and we've got twice as much space, we're probably going to get twice as many people, at least within a couple of years. And so we were planning on September as the time when we're going to move into the gym. But technical things happened, and it was harder than we thought, so we put it off till January. Now that already was kind of frustrating to me. Several weeks ago, as we were planning to move into the gym, we even announced it to the people here that we're going to move into the gym. Uh, Steve Van Sickle, one of our pastors at a staff meeting, just said out loud that he had some reservations about this and he wasn't sure why. And then a lot of staff began to say that they had some reservations about it. 
They shared it with our board, and the board kind of agreed that there's some reservations there. It just doesn't seem ready. Some of the people who are in our prayer ministry were kind of getting messages that this isn't the time to move into the gym. Now, everything rational, everything in the natural, in the natural mind says, you've got to move into the gym. The shoe no longer fits the foot. The foot's outgrowing the shoe. You've got to keep up with the growth of the foot. Get a bigger shoe. But we're just sensing to hold back. The one who has problems with this, more than anybody else, is me. Um, I have just been frustrated because I hate to see people have to sit on the floor like this or people come and they say, well, there's nobody to sit and then they leave. And so I'm the one, even in, in September, who was saying, come on, come on, we've got to keep up with what God's doing, we've got to keep going forward, we've got to go, got to go, got to go. I don't do holding back very well. It's not, it's not a gear that I've got in my transmission. I can't find that slot. Like, hold back. It's like, no, no, I, I don't know. Treading water. I, I just, I, I don't do that well. I need to learn that, and God is, thank you, Lord, teaching me, despite myself. But everyone else, you see, we operate as a team here, and, and I am not the senior pastor. I'm just a pastor. We have a pastoral staff, and we have a board, and, and, and on major decisions, we operate by consensus. And people were sensing that God is saying, don't go. And I'm the lone voice who appears to be out of the will of God saying, we got to go, so we're not going. <laughs> now, as a result of that, I've really come to the conclusion, I've really seen in the last month that it was good that we don't go. And what it's done is, is it's caused me and a lot, of us, a lot of introspection. I've been seeking God, asking him this question, why? Why are we, it doesn't make sense to hold back. Why? And... What's happened in the last several weeks is some, some self-awareness, some growth in terms of just looking at ourselves, some introspection that I think has made it very clear why we are not quite ready to move into the gym. And that, is, that has brought about this self-assessment that I want to share with us here this morning. And let me tell you, in doing this, I've got two mutually competing emotions. On the one hand, I have a lot of frustration. I'm not, I'm not by nature patient. I live with sort of a sense of urgency. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, very aware of, of mortality, that I could die tomorrow, and I want to get as much done before I die. And, and uh, windows of opportunity, they, they don't last forever. And so I'm a, a person who's always on, I've got two gears, my wife says. I, I, fifth gear, fast forward or sleep. I, I, it's, it's like, those are the only two I operate with. So this is frustrating for me. And, and as I become aware of some of the things, some of the reasons why we're holding back, I get frustrated about it. So it's like, I want to... Take, get them taken care of real quick. At the same time, I have this emotion, this, this sense in my gut, my spiritual gut, of incredible anticipation, more than I've had, I think, going into any other year that we've been around. The picture that I actually have, or at least the sense that I have is this, going into 97, is that Woodland Hills Church, I feel as though we are on the precipice of something. Almost as though there's a rocket on a rocket pad and we have just, we're just about ready to finish up the rocket pad, but we haven't really even launched yet. We haven't really even launched the rocket. We haven't even gotten off. What God wants to do through this ministry, it needed a foundation and we're just now getting clear on what that foundation is. But my sense and my vision, and I'm hardly alone in this, is that this thing hasn't even taken off the ground yet. We're still laying down the foundation for it. And I have got an incredible sense of anticipation about that, especially now that some things are coming to light about the, the things that need to get done. So 
I feel like I'm steering some kind of a, some kind of a carriage, carriage with, with two, two horses here. One's a sense of frustration, and one's an incredible sense of anticipation. And out of that comes this sense of self-reflection. I want us as a community here to think out loud about who we are. I want to think about a couple of things that I think we're doing well. And I want to think about a couple of things that we're not doing well. And out of that, I want to issue some challenges and, and just some declarations about what's got to happen in 97. First of all, one thing that I think we do pretty well is this. I, I think we're pretty good at being real. From the start, we have felt that part of the calling of Woodland Hills Ministry is to be real, to be free as much as possible from, religi from religious baggage, religious stuff that tends to get between people and God. Our goal has been to be free from any sort of performance mentality. Our goal has been to be okay with people as they are. Our goal has been to be a grace-filled environment. Our goal has been to be a people in whom the love of God is expressed in an unconditional way. Our objective is simply to be real. To be real with our imperfections, real with our faults, real with our failings but real with the fact that we serve a real God who's a real Savior, who's got real power to help real problems. And so we try to, on Sunday mornings when we get together, to be vulnerable, to, be, to, to get off any sort of veneer of religiosity that we might be tempted to put on. I think we've been pretty good about saying out loud and demonstrating that this is not a kind of a place where you've got to put on a Sunday smile and a Sunday suit and a Sunday marriage and try to tell people about how great things are. When someone says, how are you, you don't have to answer, I'm doing great, how are you? We've been pretty good about dealing with reality and, 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 and setting a grace-filled environment. We continually have testimonies of people who say something like this. We come to the service, and, and, and for the first three months or six months, all we do is cry. Something hits us here, because there's a real presence of God and I, we sense the love of God in the real condition in which we are at. I think it's just reality. People are hungry for reality. They don't want more religion. They don't want religiosity. They don't want more pretense. They don't want more do's and don'ts. They just pile on people. They want reality. And so our commitment has been, and it shall always be God willing, to just be real. This is a Sinners Anonymous thing here, folks. One thing you know about me before you know anything else, amen. One thing you know about me before you know anything else is that I'm a sinner, saved by grace. You are a sinner, saved by grace. Now, we're not okay with sin. We come against it because God comes against it. We want to be on God's side. At the same time, we know the way that people grow out of sin is by being loved in the midst of their sin. You don't hang love as a carrot at the end of a, a, a stick and a string. Can't talk right. What kind of a church is it that gets a preacher with a speaking impairment and puts them up in front of people? I, but we're real with that. It's okay. It puts a carrot at the end of a string and a stick to chase it. And if you run fast enough and if you do it good enough, then you get God's love and then you get the people's love. That's not the way God operates. God loves you first and that's what evokes change. You don't change first and that's what brings about love. I think we're good. We've been good at living out that element of the gospel. And so a lot of people come to Woodland Hills because they feel marginalized in other places. They feel like they don't fit in in other places. People who have been through divorces, people who have been through various scars and church wounds and, 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 and drug abuse or whatnot, they feel like this is a place that's safe, and praise God for that, and it, and, and it must always stay that way. Our commitment is to make this a place 
where whatever our background, whatever our failings, whatever our faults, whatever our struggles, past, present, and future, we can sit in the presence of God and get healing. We're good at doing reality. Amen. Well, thank the Lord for it. It's by God's grace. A second thing that I think we've been hitting the, the target on, four years and three months into this ministry, I think we've been hitting the target on, on striving for passion. Striving for passion. Our commitment from the start was this. We don't want to just do church. We don't want, we don't need, the church in the Twin Cities doesn't need more status quo religion. What is the justification for having a new church? I mean, don't, don't we have enough churches? And there is no justification for having another church unless there's, there's something distinctive there, unless you see that there's something, a need in the kingdom that needs to be met that's not being met right now. And one need that we have seen from the start that we are committed to seeing fulfilled is that the church in the Twin Cities needs passion. It needs revival in a serious way. There is far too much mediocrity, far too much lethargy, far, far too much spiritual apathy going on. There are strongholds that plague many, many churches. And one of the things that we have been committed to is this, to be about serving the passionate God with passion. Our understanding and our conviction is this, that God is a passionate God. He never does anything halfway. He never does anything in a mediocre way. He is never apathetic. When he does anything, he goes all the way with it. And so when he decides to save people, he goes all the way. God of the universe, the creator almighty, becomes a human being and dies in order to have a bride, and the bride is us. This is a God of outlandish, incredible, burning, passionate love. And the only appropriate response, if you see that, is to respond with burning, ridiculous, passionate love. The passionate God raises up a people of passion. Our understanding has been, and our conviction is that passion for the believer should be the norm. And so everything that we do, we want to do with passion. If we can't do it with passion, then let's just not do it. Let's save our energy for something that we can be passionate about. If it's not passionate, it's really not about kingdom stuff. And I think we've been pretty good at striving for passion in worship. We've been pretty good at striving for passion in preaching. We've been pretty good at striving for passion in prayer. These are objectives that we want to just sell out on. Worship that is not passionate is simply not worship. It's singing. That's nice. But it becomes worship to the degree that our heart and our mind and our soul and our entire being is surrendered to the one that we are singing about. Then it becomes, then it becomes worship. We want to be a people of passion, raising up a passionate army that will be used as a catalyst of revival throughout the Twin Cities. Nothing less than that. We want to be passionate about the things of God. I think we've been hitting that mark fairly well. A third thing that I think four years and three months into this ministry that we've been doing fairly well is, is this. Woodland Hills is, I believe, a place that does not have any human ownership. And that is, I think, a very, very good thing. I don't sense that there's anyone who's trying to get credit for what's going on here. I don't sense that there's anyone trying to put their fingers and their arms around what's happening here, trying to control it, trying to claim it. I don't sense that there's anyone who's getting any ego strokes from anything that's going on here. And that is, as some of you know from negative experiences, a very important thing to be good at doing. Our understanding from the start, and God willing, it will be our understanding till the time he comes back. We don't need Woodland Hills Church anymore, but our understanding is this. This is about Jesus Christ. 
and no one else but Jesus Christ. And so it's not about Greg Boyd, and it's not about Norm Blagman, and it's not about Steve Van Sickle, and it's not about Barry Jass, and it's not about Jan Rowling, and it's not about anyone in the ministry. It's not their church. It's not my church. It's not the board's church. It's no one's church. It's not the Baptist General Conference church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. One of the biggest obstacles to ministry, I believe, is when people's egos gets in the way. If my ego starts getting stroked by something that's happening here, then I become invested in it in a way that I shouldn't. And then you try to control it. Now if it gets big, you feel good. If it gets small, you feel bad. And so you try to manipulate people to stay that maybe shouldn't be staying. Ministries that, that have egos involved in them always become manipulative. They often become shaming. They become guilt-ridding. People get beat up in them. Because someone is feeding their ego. Instead of the shepherd feeding the, feeding the sheep, you got the shepherd who's feeding on the sheep. And the job of the, the congregation is to keep the pastors happy. It becomes abusive and destructive, and it's no longer honoring to God. One of the things that we're committed to is to making sure that there's no one who's got ownership in an ego fashion of Woodland Hills Church. That's why we have a team concept here. A team concept. The major decisions of ministry are made on, on, on a team. We don't have a senior pastor. What we have is a group of pastors. I believe that's a very biblical concept. A team of elders who make the decisions for the church in conjunction with the board and then in, on major decisions they go to the advisory team. But it means that there's no one person calling the shots around here. If there was one person calling the shots around here, we'd be in the gym next week. <laughs> but thank God that we're not. You see? See, here's the thing. I've got a limited perspective on stuff. I got a, a, uh, I'm wired a certain way, so I'm always looking in the future. I'm always a go, 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 go. So that means when God says, time to hold back, time to hold back, I'm the last person to listen. That's why you need a team. Because it was God's will that we hold back for a while. So this is a team-run thing. I believe that's a biblical concept. I believe that's a safe concept. It's a dangerous thing when one person gets too much authority. If Jesus Christ is the head, he's got to be the only head without competitors. What you've got in the ministry is a bunch of people who understand that their job is to serve Christ's body. This is Christ's flock. It's not anyone's job to keep the flock a certain size or to keep anyone in this flock. If you're supposed to be in a different flock, then go. Because Jesus Christ is supposed to be the head of that flock too. And so also here, it's a team-run thing. The ministry here is, our job is not to do the ministry. Our job is to empower you to do the ministry and to glorify the head in the ministry that you do. I think we've been hitting that mark pretty well. A fourth and final thing. There's other things I think we do pretty well, but that, that deserves to be mentioned. The fourth thing is this. We have been, I think, pretty good at aiming at, not attaining necessarily, but aiming at being a people among whom there are no walls. We've been a people that are, I think have been pretty good at aiming at seeing manifested the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. When he says, Father, I pray that they may be one in us, even as we are one. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. They're different, and yet in the Godhead, they are absolutely one in love. And that's the kind of unity, that's the kind of unity that the Lord is striving for amid, amidst his body. A unity, a oneness of love amidst our differences. This is a body that has got incredible, and I mean incredible differences. We've got people on this side of the political spectrum and on that side of the political spectrum. We've got 
A lot of people on this side of the economic uh, fence. We've got a few people on this side of the economic fence. We've got people in this social strata and that social strata from this denominational background and that denominational background. We've got people of this gender and that gender, of this race and that race. And we've been good at saying that these differences must never divide us. They must unite us. And what will unite us is Jesus Christ. And so our commitment has always been to raise up Jesus Christ as what we have in common. A unity that is based on a homogeny is not impressive to anybody. The world can do that. But a unity that is there amidst radical diversity, now that is a God-created kind of diversity. And that's what shows the world that Christianity is true because that's the kind of unity that the world can never attain. I think we've been particularly good at manifesting the truth that in Christ there's neither male nor female. Woodland Hills is a, is a body where, where ministry is based on giftedness. It's not based on your sexuality. We've got a board where half of the people on the board are women, praise God. And it has led me to really feel sorry for churches that have a theology that just prevents that. Because I'm telling you, much of the wisdom and the insight that has led this church has come from the women that are participating on the board and the women that are, that are uh, on our staff. We've just asked Jan Rowling to be our manager on our staff. We, we did a, a, an assessment of our ministry team. We found out that we've got a lot of people with a lot of energy, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of risk takers, and no one with any zero management skills. So what you get is a lot of, a lot of excitement, but very little motion. I mean, you get a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of ideas, and none of us directed. So Jan has come on. If we had a senior pastor, uh, she'd have the title. And I think it's just pretty cool that that's the case because she's got a management skill that is absolutely incredible. For those of us, like me, who have zero management skills, I can't organize a drawer. I just sit back and I'm, I'm awed by the way she's able to take this energy and these ideas and begin to channel it. I thank God that this is a place where we say that out loud, that God's ideal is to say that in Christ there's neither male nor female, because this is a gift for management and leadership if ever there was one. And it's really helping out our team in a tremendous way. A lot of, I think, a lot of our growing awareness right now, a lot of this that I'm sharing right now, comes because we have her on staff, and she, a lot of things are being noticed that were never noticed before. So thank God for that. We need to be continually praying for, striving for, and working towards increasing, manifesting the truth that in Christ, the racial walls have been divided. And I want to challenge you to keep praying towards and working towards that in your own life, working towards that, building bridges where previously there have been walls. Because our understanding is this, and we will live by this, we will die by this, that if Christ spilled blood for it, it's got to be manifested. Jesus died for our sins to, to bring about forgiveness, so we want forgiveness to be manifested here. Jesus died for healing. By his stripes we are healed. We want to see God manifest healing here. But Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that he also died to tear down the walls of division, racial division. That has got to be manifested in the body of Christ. We've made good progress on that in 96. I pray that we quadruple that progress in 97. Not out of any desire to be politically correct or anything like that. Who cares about that? But because it's the word of God. Because it's what God wants to see happen. As a goal, I think we've been good at keeping that out front. It's been a good year for this. That, that, that reconciliation uh, uh, Sunday that we had was so powerful. There have been people who have been healed of racist beliefs that they've had here. And we just pray that God will continue and intensify that in, in the body of Woodland Hills. 
Now, several things that we need to work on in 97 that have really been coming to light that we have not been doing very well. One is this. Discipleship. Discipleship. It is our understanding that Jesus did not come to make church attenders. There's no Bible verse that says that. In fact, it's our understanding that Jesus did not come to make believers. He didn't say go out into all the world and make believers of all nations. What Jesus said was go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Our goal, therefore, at Woodland Hills can't be to get more attenders. If God wants to bring a lot of people to this event, praise God for that. If he wants to shave it down, praise God for that. Our job is not to, not, not to control that. Our job is to obey God with what he tells us to do. But what he tells us to do is to make disciples of people. Now, a disciple is someone who is disciplined. That's what the word means, discipline. A disciple of the Lord Jesus is one who is being disciplined by the Lord Jesus, who walks in a disciplined way, who matures and grows in their spiritual walk, who grows in their understanding that they are a minister of the gospel, who takes responsibility for their ministry and carries that wherever they go, on the workplace or on the job office or whatever. That's a disciple of Jesus Christ. And God's been doing that. But he's been doing it pretty much no thanks to the leadership of Woodland Hills Church. And this is just a confession. We're four years and three months into this, and, and it still is the case that we don't have a permanent class for people to go who are interested in Christianity. And we've piloted a couple of courses, and they've gone very well, and we're in the process of putting that in there. But this is something that has got to happen in 97. We don't have a course for new believers. We get dozens of people saved here. It's, it's amazing. But we don't have a course to say, here, first thing you've got to do is take this course. Our goal, and we put Barry Joss in charge of this. Barry Joss is, is, is heading up our adult education thing, and he's now meeting with a bunch of people who, are, uh, who have been gifted as teachers. They're brainstorming on a curriculum, and here's what we want to have. Some of it will be Sunday morning. Some of it may be during the week in the evenings. But in 97, and in short order in 97, because I, for one, am very frustrated about this. This has got to happen yesterday. We want to have a curriculum where you, you, you start at point A, which is just wondering who Jesus is, and you end at point Z, which is about being a full disciple of Jesus Christ that is now ready to mentor somebody else. And to have a curriculum where you walk people through it, starting from the question of who Jesus is to then a, a, a new believer class, and then a uh, growing in community class, and then classes that help people learn what the gifts of the Spirit are, walking in the Spirit, and so on and so forth. People have been going from point A to point Z, but it hasn't been... It's been no thanks to anything that we've been doing. We want to help people. This is the job of equippers, to help people start at point A and end up at point Z. Discipleship. And so we're having this whole adult curriculum thing, and God willing, it's going to get off the ground here in January, February, uh, with, with, with some initial courses being offered. And I want to encourage you to be looking into that. I encourage those of you who have maybe done some teaching in the past, who have a proven ministry of teaching, this is a good time to step up to the plate. And talk to Barry Joss. If this is something you want to get involved in, I encourage you to come forward, offer up your gift, and let's get this show on the road. A second thing that I believe that we've been falling short of a little bit. And see, I, I just am thankful that, that I can be up here and say this out loud. This is, this is part of the reality piece that we do well. I don't feel like, I mean, if you wanted to sell a church, this is not the way to do it. You're supposed to say, hey, everything's wonderful here. woo woo you know? uh, you know, but, but the reality is that this is, this is at least as imperfect as any other church, and so there you go. Here's one thing we haven't been doing well. Newcomers, pay attention to this. When we started, we've had the belief 
The conviction, and we still have it. We just haven't been acting on it very well. <laughs> the conviction is that nothing of kingdom value happens outside of prayer. It's a biblical principle. It, it, it runs throughout the entire Bible. God moves when his people pray. God in his providence, the almighty God, does not want to unilaterally call all the shots. He could do that, but he rather chooses to invest his bride, his people, his church, his body, with authority to make decisions in the world. And so he leverages a lot on our willingness to pray. Prayer is the key that unlocks the vault of heaven that will bring down a shower of blessing upon us. And so we have known from the start that we have got to be a people that are about prayer. We want to be a catalyst for revival throughout the Twin Cities. We want to be a means by which God inspires what needs to happen so desperately here, and that is that his life begins to, in a passionate way, flow, not just here in, in Woodland Hills, but through us into other areas. That's why we get so excited when there are people who, who come here, but they don't, this is not their church. They go to other churches. That's a great thing. That's fine. They get fired up and they bring some of the fire back to their church because we want to be used in the kingdom however we can be used in the kingdom. But that only happens when there is a sufficient prayer base. One of the reasons why we have felt that we cannot go into the gym is because we don't have a sufficient prayer covering. We have got a group of people, intercessors and prayer warriors, the ones who will pray up here up front, and people who pray before each service over in the room. I forget the room number, but there are people that get together and pray. And they have been with us from the start, and a great deal of the success of Woodland Hills Church, and it has been amazing, a lot of it goes to these people who in their closet, by their bedsides, wherever they are, they pray, some an hour of day, for the ministry of Woodland Hills Church. That's what unleashes the powers of heaven and brings about a blessing here. But what the Lord has been showing us is this. We have not been keeping up with the growth here. We've grown about 500 people in the last year. Our prayer base was adequate for 500. It was maybe adequate for 1,000, but now we're up to 1,500, 2,000, sometimes more than that. And the bigger chunk of the kingdom that you're doing, the bigger the war that you're going into, the more people that you're ministering to, the more baggage that is there, the more prayer covering you need. I want to challenge you with this. First of all, we as a staff have got to do a better job at making available to you the prayer opportunities that are there. Getting involved in the prayer teams, getting involved in the prayer networks, getting involved in the prayer ministries at the Hills House and the Postal's House and, and the church office uh, on Sunday nights. We need to do a better job of making that available to you. At the same time, I want to just remind you and encourage you along these lines. We have from the start believed that Woodland Hills Church is simply an experiment in prayer. What happens when you get a lot of people who take God at his word and are willing to just pray their socks off? I want to encourage all of you who are invested in this ministry, who feel that, that this is the, where you belong, you're a member of this church, to pray 10 minutes a day. Pray more than that if you want. But I want to encourage you to pray 10 minutes a day for this ministry. Okay? I'm not going to have a thermometer chart and, 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 and keep track of it or pledge cards or that kind of stuff. This is between you and God. And I've made this challenge before, but I just want to, as a pastor, challenge you with this. Will you do that? Will you do that? If we get 2,000 people who are praying 10 minutes a day, that's 20,000 minutes of prayer a day for this ministry. I don't know how many hours that breaks into. But anyways, that's a lot of prayer. That's a lot of prayer, and I am just anticipating what will happen when we do that. Be about prayer. Be a people of prayer. 
you want to get involved in the prayer team and other things, I encourage you to step up to the plate and begin to do that. We need more prayer covering. Nothing of value will happen without prayer. The final thing that we have not been keeping up with that needs to happen really quick in 97, that God is really raising up with a, with a, a blinker light on it, is community. Community. Jan Rowling, who's now our, 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 our pastoral manager, had a vision before she ever came on staff. She was on board, and she had this vision that is really cool. Uh, and I can't go into the whole thing now, but basically what, what she saw, and she had it over a period of days, over and over and over again, and she kept on going around asking people, you know, what does this mean? What does this mean? And, and finally, through talking to Barry and others in prayer, she, we came up with an interpretation of it. But the first thing that she saw was this rock, and water was flowing out of this rock. And that meant refreshing. That is when we come together on Sunday morning and there's this refreshing time. The second piece of it, what was the second piece of it? Uh, uh, anyone here on staff? I can't remember the second piece of it. Oh, the covering, yes. There's soldiers who are lifting this veil off of this other person's fa uh, 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 head. And, and what that was about speaking truth, speaking truth and, uh, it was mainly about speaking truth. And, um, and, 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 and bringing things out. I can't, I can't remember all the details. What? Healing! Healing, right. Healing of people so they can see God clearly and speaking truth. Okay. <laughs> see, you're all ministers. You can come up with your own interpretation. <laughs> the third thing, however, was so, some soldiers carrying other wounded soldiers. And, and this was about community. And what we saw was that we have been doing the first two, and these all came in a sequence. The first two we've been hitting on, the third one we have not been hitting on. And the, the, the impression that we all had was that 97 is the year, above all else, for community. The bottom line is this. We have had the understanding, and it's a biblical understanding, that the event, this event, Sunday morning event, as God does a lot of things here, it is great. We're not going to minimize that. That's a good thing. Healing takes place here. People get saved here. People get charged up here. That's a good thing. But Christianity, the rubber hits the road when we get involved in relationships with one another. When we start doing the 57 New Testament one another's, that's when your Christianity becomes enfleshed. You find out what your gift is. God calls us to live with and for one another, to, to bear each other's burdens, to pray for one another, to be hospitable to one another, to carry one another, to visit one another when we're in the hospital and when we're in prison, to paint each other's houses, to help each other move, to do the things of life with one another. That's where Christianity really begins to take on meat. That's where you really begin to feel and experience the life flow of Christ in your life and in your ministry. And that's been one of our highest objectives. But the truth of the matter is, is that there is no goal that we've had that we have attained more poorly than that one. And what we have just come to conclusion with in the last several weeks is this. We need to stop and utterly revamp all of our thinking about this. Because what has been going on has not been working. And that's not about you guys. That's about the ministry leadership. We need to be providing opportunities for this. We've had people who are dying to get involved in small groups and can't. Now, this has got to change, and it's going to change. And so what we're doing in January in particular is in a very intensive, prayerful way, asking ourselves the question, what would God have us have here that would facilitate our getting, getting connected with one another? One idea that Barry Joss has had, and what we're doing is freeing up Steve Van Sickle and Barry Joss to do nothing but think about this. Uh, how do you build community in a church like this? We want to go out and visit other churches that do it well and, and learn from them uh, how they go about plugging people in. 
um, and, and, and developed this program. Barry Joss has had the idea of, of having regional churches. That's why one of the questions on the questionnaire is this. Uh, do you know of any churches in your area that, that maybe would be, uh, uh, make their building available during the week to rent? Because one of the things we're thinking about doing, we have people coming from all over the place. Uh, we're a regional church, and that makes getting together very frequently uh, hard. But what if we rented out church buildings on a Thursday night or a Tuesday night or even a Wednesday night, had a worship service there, like we have here, where, where people from your region can come together, and then, then, for the second part of the service, break into small groups. So you get, begin to get plugged in to people in your region. Begin to develop fellowship. Find out who in this mass of people is it from your area. Begin to live life together, share life together, develop friendships and bonding. Other ideas, you know what? You guys are ministers too. If God gives you an idea or if you've seen something really work in the past, I would encourage you to fill that out on the, on the questionnaire that we have. Here's what I want to do. As the ushers come forward, I'm going I'm to close with a prayer here. And then I would ask you to spend the two or three minutes uh, that it will take. They're going to hand out some pencils here when I'm done praying. But would you please help us here? We in the ministry, we are simply servants. We're here to serve you. That's our job. And to do that, we need to know some things about you. You don't have to fill your name out if you don't want to, but if you, if you want to get feedback from us, then, then, then give us your name and address. Please fill this out. Uh, give us some information uh, and help us get this thing together. Let me pray. Father, I thank you, God, for, for 96 and for all that's happened in 96, God. And I thank you, Lord God, for this sense of anticipation that you're building among your people for 97. God, we want whatever you want. And Lord, we don't want to limit what you do here by our lack of vision. Lord, our commitment to you is to be obedient. But Lord, we would pray then, Lord, that you would now open up our eyes, open up our minds, open up our hearts, and pour out your wisdom upon us. Right now, Lord God, charge your army. Lord God, to rise up and go forward in 97. Lord God, you're the, you're the head here. This is about you, about no one else but you. It's all to your glory, so be glorified, Lord God. Thank you for the way that you've been glorified in 96, for the healing and salvation and other things that have happened. We pray, Lord God, in a greedy spiritual way, for a triple portion of that in 97, Lord God. With your wisdom, with the help of your spirit, it will be done in Jesus' name.